Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Tuesday, December 10th, which means, what, we're, we're five days out now from the season one finale of HBO's Watchmen. Lots has happened since last we talked, Aaron. Secret identities have been revealed, which has led at least in my case, to even more questions about what's going on here and, more importantly, what happens next. We have our season one finale uh, coming this Sunday. What, what do you expect to happen? I will make no predictions because this has all been out of left field. Mm-hmm. Like, every episode is left field, and then you go walk into left field and go, okay, I'm here in left field, and then it goes even further left field, and you walk a little bit over there, and you go, okay, I'm even further in left field, and all of a sudden they're like, whoa, whoa, way right field now, and you're just chucking across the field. Uh, it's not settled down. I can't predict anything. So I'll just say that the most recent episode a God Walks Into a Bar has been my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does feature Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And for the ladies, you get a good lick at Long Island, if you know what I mean. <laughs> good night, everybody. Um, <laughs> many a pause buttons were broken that, that night, that Sunday okay. night due to HBO. It was like, yeah. a, oh, Lord, clutch the pearls. Okay. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I, it was a lot of fun because if you're a fan of Doctor Who and the wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey, there was mm-hmm. a lot of that, and, and that was a lot of the payoff of the thing mm-hmm. was... It almost seemed like the episode was a first date between two people, but the second person already had the knowledge of of their entire history together, future as well as past. And the other portion of the the date was their first time meeting this person. So uh, then you do a time jump and you get to see the payoff of what Dr. Manhattan knows. So it was a lot of fun. I don't want to give anything away, but we do end up with a very huge chicken or egg scenario which came Mm. first yeah yeah and it doesn't matter well i mean in the end does it really matter i just feel like at this point i'm i'm almost being forced to circle back through these shows again just to confirm the thing i saw earlier that's what this thing is you know the vehicle that we'd seen crash in the background previously now takes on an entirely different meaning Right. That now, again, we have our, our episode nine this Sunday night. The ratings uh, so far for Watchmen are, are on par with Westworld and Big Little Lies, and they both got season twos. So I would be shocked if this did not get greenlit for a season two, like, right. And I have no idea what the ratings are. Mm-hmm. I just, for some reason, after watching it, would just be shocked that it didn't get a second season just to see where the hell it goes from here. I don't know. It's just sort of I'm I so many of these days, so many shows that I thought had legs, or you know, especially in this Netflix influenced landscape, you know, uh, you know, get two and are done. So, uh, so I, I guess again, I'm a little concerned. I, I I'm waiting on that renewal. And now, speaking of things that that seem to be doing great in the ratings, uh, over on. The DC side of the street, uh, we've had the CW launch their Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, programming event. So that started this Sunday night on Supergirl, continued just last night on Batwoman, and then 
the third of five episodes of this program event uh, is tonight, Tuesday, December 8th, on The Flash. And then we, we have to wait till January 14th for all of this to wrap up on, uh, they, I guess that night they're going to spread it over two episodes, uh, The Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow, and I guess you're deliberately holding off on this. You want to want to binge this all in one pile, right? Or Yeah, I don't have the ability to watch all of the DCU on, on TV according to schedule. I'm just going to have to sit it out until they wrap up the whole thing and it's all available for streaming. And then I can pick out a weekend to sit down and watch, you know, a couple episodes because they, they bounce around. It'll be like Supergirl episode one will be the start of something. And then you'll have to watch uh, Batwoman and then you'll have to watch Arrow. And so it, it bounces around. So I'm, I'm just going to have to wait until it's all done and then just watch it digitally whenever I get the chance later on down the road. But I'm looking forward to it. Looks now, hella good. Yeah. Now, what fascinates me about this particular crisis on Infinite Earth is that if you drill actually drill down into um, the history of this, you know, the, the, the 12 comic the story that was done in 85, 86, it was bold storytelling, you know, involving hundreds of characters from from the DC archive. But at the same time, I, what I love about this is it was actually sort of a housekeeping aspect to it, right? Or... Yeah, and I think both Marvel and DC have kind of gotten into this routine where every once in a while you got to do this big, huge universe-involved event where everybody shows up to the party. It's not just, you know, Spider-Man and Daredevil hanging out on a rooftop one Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like everybody in the, in the whole universe has to show up and... The cool thing is, I think, you know, that over years and years, you have these huge epic characters, but you also have different writers and different artists that have mm -hmm. their take. And some of them last for, you know, decades. Mm -hmm. There will be moments of inspiration and in costume design that will take hold in, in one uh, artist and they'll extend it and, and do something a little bit different. And then all of a sudden years later, someone will radically, you know, change the design or the look or the, or the feel. And so now you've got all these different interpretations of Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman that you've grown up with over decades of storytelling. And then you just have this, all these different plot threads, right? Cause you've also got all these different writers that tell their stories over the years and whatnot. And somehow eventually you just got to kind of tie it all up into a neat little ball so you can throw it all over your shoulder and start over. <laughs> That's kind of what it is, right? That's kind of an apt analogy. I, I can't get behind that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, that's kind of what that is, is it's like, here's all these different fla flavors of Batman and Superman that you loved. And, and we'll just say they're from different universes and we'll put them all together in this one big, huge epic battle. And boy, won't we have fun doing it. And who cares what the outcome is? It's just, let's have a clean slate. Let's start over with our storytelling with some br fresh, bold ideas that we've been cooking up in the background while we, get on with this after tonight though you know we're gonna hang in there till january 14th to get this story wrapped up but at least that's quicker than you know the what is it may 1st is that when we're we're gonna get uh the black widow movie uh which what the trailer just the, the teaser trailer finally dropped last week what'd you think of that i'm okay with it i'm not mm -hmm like over the moon there's like fun moments and i'm mm -hmm. i'm cool with the fun moments there's reveals there's things i'm i'm thinking 
that things are going to happen, but I can't talk about them just yet because we're going to save that for later. But overall, I love the Red Guardian character. Mm -hmm. Uh, that he's a, a polar opposite, so to speak, politically, I guess you mm -hmm. would say, of Captain America and what he is. But, I mean, if you look at the two costumes side by side, because he's got a star mm -hmm. on his chest, it's just in red uh, mm -hmm. costume, whereas Cap would be in blue. And they got the same helmet. It's just, you know, the Russian dude's got a big, huge beard, and he's got a little bit of a, a belly, I guess, nowadays, because he's not as fit as he used to be, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it looks great. I think it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, for my side of the fence, I, I guess... After you know, following this project, you know, for a number of years now, and and one of the more interesting things that what is it, Kevin Feige has said about this film in the past is, this is the he likes to describe it as the the Marvel Cinematic Universe equivalent of Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad prequel that developed a life of its own. But for me, I guess what's intriguing about it is we now sort of know where the story starts off and i guess that it, as i understand it it starts off right after the what they, they now call this the clash of the avengers that scene in captain america civil war at the leipzig leipzig airport after that later in the film you know we actually go to the raft that offshore prison that the U.S. government has built for individuals with enhanced abilities. And, you know, we see Clint Barton in there, you know, Hawkeye. We see Sam Wilson, Falcon. We see Scott Lang, Ant-Man, and even Wanda Maximoff, the, you know, the Scarlet Witch. But we don't see, you know, Natasha. We don't see the Black Widow. And given that she's the one who, you know, at the tail end of that battle switches sides, you know, that, that effectively tells... Black Panther, you know, he said, I, I'd take you to him. I didn't say I'd let you catch him. You'd assume switching sides that late in the battle you know, is going to have some consequence. But the, the interesting thing is that we see in the trailer that she's having a conversation with Thaddeus uh, Ross, the uh, uh, General Thunderbolt, uh, who was introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe all the way back in 2008 with the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk film. And... When he comes back onto the canvas in civil, the Civil War movie, he's now the U.S. Secretary of State, and he's the one who's riding herd on the Sokovia Accords at the U.N. And Natasha's trained as a soldier, of course, with the KGB, and he's trained as a soldier with the U.S. Army. And so what's interesting is if you look at the two conversations or the, the couple of conversations that these two characters have, in civil war they're very brutal with but but brutally truthful with one another romanoff at one point when they're talking about the sokovia accords and you know and if we come to a decision that you don't like general and the general response well then you retire or you know likewise you know when they're talking about what happened you know uh, romanoff has talked with the general about what happens with the shooting start we let them kill steve rogers it's like if we are provoked Barnes, they would talk about Bucky Barnes. Bucky Barnes would have been eliminated in Romania if it wasn't for Rogers. There are dead people who would now be alive. Feel free to check my math. They're honest characters that talk to one another honestly. And so somebody who's made it to be a general and then a secretary of state in the United States government understands about, you know, moving chess pieces around the board. And a Natasha Romanoff uh, that's free, uh, and more to the point, a, a character that owes you something because you've temporarily turned a blind eye and let them escape. 
is a very valuable chess piece. And that supposedly is what we're seeing in the trailer, that Ross is letting her go, but with the understanding that she has to go to, to Russia to perform a favor, to deal with an issue there that neither S.H.I.E.L.D. nor the U.S. government are really allowed to, to do anything about. And it's an interesting way to get the Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going, because I think, as you mentioned there, and if you're actually watching the trailer, there, there are clips from multiple earlier appearances of the Black Widow character. I think there's at least one scene that we see where they lifted footage from Age of Ultron. Would that be the uh, ballerina scene? Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, I mean, if if we're going all the way back to the training montage, mm-hmm. you know, all the way that far back, then yep. if, from my viewpoint, I wouldn't say that this movie takes place specifically in that Civil War timeline mm-hmm. where she switches sides. I think it could be flash. I mean, because that is a flashback movie because it's not mm-hmm. happening currently. So it could be uh, flashbacks of flashbacks of flashbacks where at that time in Mm -hmm. Civil War time, if that's where some of the movie takes place, I think there will also be parts of it that will be taking place in her training days Mm -hmm. that will establish relationships she had with other Black Widow characters that will meet in that movie. So that way it'll make sense when we meet them in their present day form. Like we've got the Red Guardian, right? Mm -hmm. Who's got this big huge bushy beard and he's wearing this big huge red captain america but it's all russian style mm-hmm. uh type of uniform and i would think they would have to play with a now and then before and after type of thing because you can oh i totally agree half the fun in, in a situation like that is is seeing a character in their prime and and it, in fact yeah. that's that, Evidently, in the footage that was shown uh, this past weekend at CCXP, which I guess uh, is the South American equivalent of San Diego Comic-Con, evidently there was this great scene of, of Natasha and the, the David Harbour Captain Russia? What, what, what do we call him? Red Guardian? Red Guardian. Um, we have the Rachel Weiss character and the, the Florence Pugh character, and evidently they're sitting around a table you know, having the equivalent of a family dinner, and but it, in the classic family fashion of of sniping at one another. And I guess at one point, uh, Rachel Weiss's character turns to the David Haber, the Red Guardian, and it's just, it's A, you got fat, and B, when was the last time you washed that uniform? So, you know, and, and what I love is that, that from, from what they were describing, that it's this wonderful juxtaposition of Mission Impossible-like action sequences. And, and you know, it's set in, you know, these military, military industrial complexes, you know, right alongside of these dysfunctional, you know, family comedy moments. But what's interesting is that evidently Disney just, loves this thing you know to the point that when they were deciding where black widow was actually going to land on the schedule they decided and and this kind of speaks volumes about how strong they feel this movie is they decided to put it in the infinity wars endgame slot which face it disney kind of reinvented where summer blockbuster season starts you know, it used to be that people would wait till, what, Memorial Day? You know, tail end of, of May or thereabouts um, before 
you know, they thought, okay, now it's time to put, start putting blockbusters out. Whereas Disney now looks at the tail end of April, the first week of May, and it's like, no, this is this is the time. This is when you you want to walk your first you know big summer movies out, and this is where they decided that Black Widow it, that it was strong enough to be dropped into the spot and then to deliver an audience. So, um, do you think that James Bond's No Time to Die being released April eighth of twenty twenty could? suck the air out of the room for uh, another spy thriller just a couple of weeks after? You are probably not wrong. That is kind of an interesting observation. In fact, uh, Drew and I were just talking uh, yesterday when we were recording a new fine-tuning about the fact that, you know, for example, Frozen 2 has had been the number one film in the country for three weekends in a row. But starting this coming weekend... You have Jumanji, The Next Level, that arrives in theaters February 13th. And then the week after that, you've got Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, arriving on the 20th. And that's, you know, kind of building a brick wall behind a brick wall. You know, just sort of like the when it comes to the family audience. You know, face it, you know, they're going to pivot to the newer project. Uh, you know, they've enjoyed Frozen 2, but, you know, they aren't necessarily, you know, I just, that's the thing. I guess I don't see this Frozen being like the first Frozen, which, you know, six weeks after it was released to theaters, it was suddenly became the number one film of the country again and it actually stayed in theaters from late November all the way through March. Wow, I hadn't heard hadn't seen that holy cow <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's interesting uh you know but i wonder if they decided looking at old craggy daniel craig at this point you know whether or not, oh you know that that scarlett johansson she'll do fine there and it's like i think given that the other hit film that's out in the country right now uh what is it knives out yeah starring daniel craig and doing quite well I think that might <laughs> there might be some sleepless nights ahead <laughs> at Marvel and Disney, but again, you know, the, the Disney's exuding confidence and Kevin Feige's exuding confidence, and in fact, he said some very interesting things over the past couple of weeks or so, hasn't he? Or oh yeah, I've got a laundry list of of stuff the politically correct stuff that Feige said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to call it. We we need to talk about Kevin, but I found out that was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, maybe that's not an appropriate name for this segment. So we'll there just call we it go. Stuff That Kevin Said instead. Okay. Yeah, Stuff That Kevin Said recently. Uh, well, the tease of WandaVision, apparently, and this I, this was a quote from someone on Twitter, but a little quick description was, a 1950s TV set showed images from the uh, intercut with old scenes of Wanda and Vision together in previous MCU movies, described as half-classic sitcom, half-MCU spectacular. We don't have a WandaVision or a Falcon and the Winter Soldier or a Hawkeye or a Loki or a What If yet mm-hmm. to watch. But Kevin wants to throw in a Moon Knight, a Miss Marvel, and a She-Hulk to get excited about. And he got as specific as saying it would be sometime later next year. Wow. So he's got a tease. It's, I've got information about something and I'm not going to tell you about it. Mm-hmm. And then we move on. From there... Mm -hmm. Uh, He did say that these three characters will end up being on screen in future MCU films, to which I will add least surprising news since ever. Mm -hmm. The next thing that Kevin said is the exploration of the multiverse will be the next step in the evolution of the MCU. Now, 
Let's discuss that for a quick second. Uh, mm-hmm. That means any hero or villain that was once killed off can return in an exciting, fresh, new, unsus- unsuspecting way. Mm-hmm. Good guys could come back as bad guys. Bad guys could be good guys. Who knows? We could mm-hmm. have heroes facing off against themselves mm-hmm. with a, a multiverse scenario. We know that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will probably lead us down that path. Mm-hmm. What I would be hopeful for is if we've referenced at least once about this Joker movie that exists mm-hmm. that was really, really great. I would like that that MCU had a doorway, an option that they could just open up, step over and do something not connected to their current timeline. I'm perfectly happy that they're going to go ahead with their timeline with fresh, new, exciting ways that I can't even possibly anticipate or predict. But I would like them to be able to have the ability to do a one-off with no repercussions of ruining what they've spent years, decades, you know, crafting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I get that. And forgive me for for being the stickler here, because, again, I'm I, my job is to read press releases very close and to listen to what people are saying and and the uh, here's the thing okay you talk about dr strange and the multiverse of badness and that already that 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 scott dickerson film has a locked in release days of may 7th 2021 and you know and I, I think we've alluded to on previous shows that what we've been told is that wandavision which is supposed to air in or start airing in May of 2021. It's supposed to have a direct impact on the events of Multiverse of Badness. In fact, I, I think you, you, you have repeatedly voiced the hope, Aaron, that you hope that the character that Elizabeth Olsen plays, you know, the, the Scarlet Witch, winds up as the villain of this piece, right? Or, oh, I want it to be so much more tragic than that. I want him to go all Shakespeare on it. I want her to be, uh, I want WandaVision mm-hmm. to be her almost psychologically broken mm-hmm. in, in little bits and pieces of trying to cope because everyone came back except for Vision. She's mm-hmm. the only one that didn't get her boo back. Everyone mm-hmm. else came back. And so I think that she deservedly mm-hmm. should kind of be off to the side of the rest of the MCU having what I would say a little pity party for herself. Mm-hmm. I didn't, everyone got to come back except for my vision. I'm still, still alone. And she's trying to cope because she's able to alter reality and, and have these little, I guess, pocket dimension type reality warping special mm-hmm. powers that she goes and creates herself a little coping mechanism of an alternate dimension where vision is there for her. Mm-hmm. And she gets just psychologically twisted, broken and spit out the other side of the meat grinder. And in uh, Dr. Strange, we've got two heroes that we love mm-hmm. who are, are colliding with magic and having this huge mega battle. And honestly, I don't know who I would want to win in that scenario. Cause I mm-hmm. love them both. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's epic. That's mm-hmm. that's not just a villain with a you know Killmonger was a great villain because you mm-hmm. you were able to understand him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Scarlet Witch we've known from the beginning. We've known that she came from a, a rough background. We know where she, she had great loss, mm-hmm. and if she were to be broken and and tragically so, and becomes the bad guy, you'd be rooting for her to have a redemption moment to come back into the light. Mm-hmm. The whole time you're just rooting for her to come back and have a moment in the sun. Mm-hmm. But you need Doctor Strange to take her out in a way that won't, you know, kill her off. We got to mm-hmm. keep her. 
So, you know, how, how do they do it? It's, it just boggles the mind of possibilities, and I'm just so excited for it. Okay. But yeah, I want her to be a villain. <laughs> okay. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I get that. I get that. You know, just, and from an acting point of view, that tragic arc uh, would have to be fun. And those of us who've been watching Disney Plus and so enjoying what they've done to date with The Mandalorian, this, you know, it just sort of projecting onto, wow, if they could do something that was this sort of storytelling, but with characters like Wanda and Vision or, or Loki or that sort of thing, and then have them... But for me, it's the dismount. It's it's going from this television property that tells the story so well in long form and then dismounting into the film for the audience to be able to pick that up. I mentioned once a couple of shows ago, I think that entertainment is changing thanks to our streaming world. Mm -hmm. And I think because Disney is handing us Mandalorian one episode every Friday, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they're good. I like that. They are pacing out my chocolate treats one per week instead Mm -hmm. of giving me an entire bag to binge on in an Mm -hmm. afternoon. So I, a, it helps with their timing. They can plan a, a schedule better. But I also think that they're going to end up learning a language where the series on Disney Plus Mm -hmm. is the sentence Mm -hmm. and the movie is the exclamation mark that caps it off. You know what I mean? I like that analogy. Okay, cool. Cool. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. And and, uh, getting back quickly to other things that Kevin said, Mm -hmm. uh, he did say Wanda would finally be referred to as the Scarlet Witch in the Mm -hmm. WandaVision series. Hooray for little things. I'm all on board for that. All right. Shifting over to the Eternals. Mm-hmm. Kevin said the Eternals know about the existence of the Avengers in the MCU, but the Avengers don't know about the existence of the Eternals yet. So who knows yeah. how that can be translated? Do you think that they're going to have a, a? See, I don't. I don't think that the Avengers are going to have a toe to toe with the Eternals because if they're eternal, what's the point? You can't kill them off. What are you going to do? Put them in prison? Give them a life no, sentence. No, no, no. You know, well, that's a, I'm intrigued by the way the Eternals have been described to date. What it, it's this this alien race of almost godlike beings. What is the phrase that supposedly came out of the the footage that was shown at CP CCPX? That they can affect this world has been good to us. It's now our turn now to protect it. So. I think the very thing you you were discussing there that what if the Eternals suddenly reveal themselves to the Avengers that like we've been here the whole time and you know you're now finally facing something that maybe you need our help with which could only mean Galactus <laughs> prediction no I'm sorry no, Galactus no, 2020 no. <laughs> I can get on board with that I, I'm almost happy with the idea and I, I don't think this will happen because I've made a, a ton of predictions that never came to fruition but I, I like the idea of the Eternals seeding the uh, X gene in mankind like uh, the Avengers aren't enough we need more protection so let's seed the X gene and that's where our X-Men start coming from well I guess what intrigues me especially with the kind of one-two punch we're looking at next year with Black Widow and the Eternals that face it you know what we've been talking about with uh, Black Widow is almost a, a Russian nesting doll of storytelling, you know, something that will potentially start in Civil War, but, you know, go back to, you know, when Natasha w- was was training, you know, but at the same time, you know, just a, a fluid 
story from a time point of view, whereas when we get to the Eternals, this has been described as a story that plays out over like 3,000, 4,000 years? Is that 7,000 is the number. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, yeah. and just, just from an art direction point of view, you know, how do you pull that off? And, and more to the point, how do you finally get to the point where when this syncs up with, you know, the world that the Avengers are currently in? You know, <laughs> yes, how, how do you do that reveal? Also, there, uh, from stuff Kevin said, mm-hmm. that there may be connections to Thanos in the Eternals, given his ties to cosmic beings in the, cosmi- in the comics. So if you want to take your Russian nesting doll one movie further, it looks like, the, you know, maybe the Eternals will be able to fit all of Infinity War inside of it if they do a good enough job of, of connecting their threads. Now, speaking of Thanos, when Aaron and I get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the book that you referenced in our last podcast, and that was The Art of Avengers Endgame. Before we get started here, they can, weird sort of way, this is this is the gift guide portion of the show here, folks. And you came across this great set of figures that actually, oddly enough, kind of ties in with all the Black Widow stuff we were just talking about. Yeah, and this is one of those things where there's something always in the back of my head that says, there ain't something right about this, and I don't know what it is yet. And I think I finally cracked that little nut. So here we go. It's a link that I sent was some toys, and if you are familiar with Marvel toys, you are then probably familiar with their Build-A-Fig series where you have you know five or six different normal-sized figures, and that one figure will come with a right leg and another figure will come with a left leg, et cetera, et cetera. And you build a larger figure out of, if you collect the entire set. So the new build a fig series is out. The build a fig for this one is the crimson dynamo. And whether he ends up in the black widow movie or not, I have no idea, but he's one of the, the Russian characters. So it's fitting that he be the build a fig in this scenario. Mm-hmm. The other characters, they have black widow, red guardian, Yelena Belova, Taskmaster, and they are all styled as MCU in their look. So Red Guardian looks like David Harbour that's that's playing him, and Black Widow looks like Scarlett Johansson, etc. Mm-hmm. However, Spymaster, Crossbones, and Winter Soldier are comic book versions of characters, and they're not really supposed to be in a Black Widow movie at all, as far as we know. So... They're just characters that are loosely tied to one another. So, you know, add them to the mix as well. That's all fine and good. The one thing I've noticed out of all of this finally is where's Hawkeye? Mm-hmm. And the thing that I'm starting to, and I this is one that I'm hoping for. I'm really, really hoping for this to be true. And I'll probably be wrong. Like 99.9%, I'm going to be wrong on this. But here's fingers crossed. I'm hoping that Clint, Hawkeye, is taskmaster i think that's the reveal i gotta say it's elegant i mean we've had these lines in earlier avenger movies like what is it you and i remember budapest very very differently right i've got six steps to confirm this the first Mm -hmm. one is there is still no mention or hint of hawkeye in the trailers or or toys and Mm -hmm. i i firmly believe that he's in this movie somewhere Mm -hmm. so 
if he's in it, but he's not being shown, I think there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. I would find it nearly impossible to have Natasha on an adventure in Budapest <laughs> without including Clint. I just the no, no. Referenced it's, it's, but it so again, many that's times. why that's you know that's it exactly. You know, it just okay. sort of like that Lego's got to click into place at some point. So, right. Yeah. Taskmaster uses a bow and arrow, and also has been known to wield a sword and a shield. Well, mm -hmm. lo and behold, Clint also uses a bow and arrow in his, as his main weapon, and recently in Endgame had switched over to a sword and used it like a Zen master would. And we've never seen him get training. So how did that happen? Mm -hmm. If he were Taskmaster, all of a sudden that would make perfect sense. And if, if he's been buddies with Cap this whole time, if mm -hmm. he were to then suddenly pick up a round shield and throw it just like Cap did, that wouldn't be all that surprising either because Taskmaster has photographic reflexes where he sees someone do something and he can instantly do that skill of equal quality, right? Wow. So that would okay. make sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it would appear to be a major reveal for this villain to be a good guy. And depending on what side Natasha's on in the film, if, if she's on the Russian side and Russia's the bad guy, or mm -hmm. if we're looking at it from Natasha's side and she is currently Russian, then America is the bad guy, technically speaking, in the mm -hmm. old Cold War viewpoint of the mm -hmm. world. So if her bad guy is possibly U.S., then that would make Clint an eligible candidate to come in and mess up the Russian scheme. Right? So that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then they have such different viewpoints on their adventure in Budapest. And if that line is, you know, if this looking back goes further back than Civil War, because remember, that line came from the very first Avengers movie. So mm -hmm. if, if their Budapest scene that they're filming happens earlier than Avengers 1, Mm-hmm then that would explain that a Clint was the one that brought in Natasha to shield. And maybe this is that happening where taskmaster shows up, foils their plans, brings Natasha over from the Russian side to the, the shield side. And then we jump ahead in time. And then we get to see the big fat red guardian versus the slender version. Right. Cause mm -hmm. I think there, there's gotta be a time jump in play here. If they're showing us the ballerina, shots of training mm -hmm. i think they're i think they're going to go back to the very beginning and give us a when she was a girl she trained with this girl and this guy and we'll understand this relationship of these young people and then and then we'll jump ahead and, and meet them again in their new present day uh versions of themselves so i think that would make sense totally so yeah i mean and then it would add weight so much more weight to that line in Avengers. And I think that Marvel loves playing with connecting their universe so much that mm -hmm. if they had an opportunity to make a, a line have that much more of a payoff than it ever did before. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, in the first movie, it was a chuckle, but it didn't have any meaning. Now, if we put some meaning behind that chuckle and you, you rewatch Avengers, you go, instead of being a chuckle, it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's my prediction right there and, and the reasons why I think that Hawkeye could end up being Taskmaster. And I don't think anyone cares about Tony Masters, the uh, the other persona of Taskmaster is his civilian side. I just think that everyone likes Taskmaster, the character. So I don't think it'd be terrible if Clint ends up as Taskmaster. I think that'd be really cool. I like the symmetry. I like the 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 payoff from, from previous story threads. And it would just be nice if... If this all pulled together, 
But again, one of the ways, you know, you, you could sort of dot the I's and cross the T's here and, and make sure that this actually worked, folks, was if you, you were willing to pay out $550 for the Infinity Saga set, the 23-disc uh, 4K Ultra H8, uh, HD Blu-ray set that came out back on, what is it, November 15th. And Aaron, I remember when you were talking, you know, when we talked initially about this coming to the market, that you were kind of dead set against it because you don't like buying the same movie over and over and over again. And you seriously doubted, I guess there was, there's one disc that's included with this set that includes deleted and extended scenes that I was kind of hoping against hope that, well, this would make it worthwhile. We'd get, you know, all of these different colors, all these little different moments that, you know, would give us bigger and better insights into the kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we are now, what, three weeks, almost four weeks since this has shown up on store shelves. And only one scene to date has leaked out. Um, I guess it's from Infinity Wars and it, it's set with the, the, the battle with Thanos and... I don't know if you've seen seen this yet. It's it's popped up online, Aaron. But it's, does it involve Baby Yoda fighting Thanos? Well, you know, it's it's Tom Holland. He's almost okay. Baby Yoda. Okay, it's half finished from a pr- production point of view. In fact, they they have Benedict Cumberbatch sort of you know astrally projecting Doctor Strange and and sort of reaching out to Peter Parker to the effect of he must rescue the Guardians of the Galaxy because their souls have been separated from their bodies and Mantis can reunite them. And it's, when you're looking at it, you can understand why somebody sitting in the editing suite went, yeah, we can lose this. Here's a 30-second info dump. Go. Yeah. Just based on the fact that so little seems to have leaked out, I think... I'm reasonably confident that, yeah, that that's $550 I didn't have to spend, you know, and, and no, I guess... You- I'm going to always, always, always point to the Lord of the Rings deluxe box sets with Mm. their like two extra discs of bonus features because like they allowed the seamstress Mm. a moment to show the inside of a gown Mm -hmm. that never saw the light of day. A camera never got to film it, but it was one of those things where they had to put they didn't know what they were going to film. So Mm. they put everything into it to make it as real as humanly possible. And so this woman ends up sewing in this very elaborate stitching on the inside of a gown just in case. And so in this little bit of behind the scenes, she gets to go on camera and show off an exquisite masterwork of costuming that deserved to be seen and put on display for a minute and kind of acknowledge her efforts and her work. Mm-hmm. And I think that Marvel really, really, really could do that with both Star Wars and Marvel. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, is from the Star Wars side, think of all the droids that they make, all of the props, the puppets. I love that the practical has come back in the newer generation of movies mm-hmm. where they're actually building puppets and whatnot. You could make a 30-hour documentary just on the puppet craft of all of the Star Wars movies. And I think that there are people that would be interested enough in loving Star Wars that they would want to see how some of these things were made and crafted. And just to republish 20-some movies with one bonus disc Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. is the biggest insult I could fathom from Marvel is is offering me a fan going, hey, look what we got. I would expect more than that from a single movie. As far as bonus features, I would expect at least one disc from a movie to be bonus features. And you're going to give me 21 movies or whatever and one disc. Mm. BS. No way. Ain't having it. No thank you. Hard pass. Conversely, though, that that you on our last show were talking about, I guess it was comicbook.com, did a uh, whatever, promo piece about the Art of Avengers Endgame book. And mm-hmm. they pushed off the release date. Normally, these things land in stores, say, within a month of the Marvel Studios production coming out. And this one, you know, a full six months. And it was like, what's the deal? And it turns out that this one is so filled with spoilers that it was, you know, I, I, look, I, I think they knew that if they put this book out in the, you know, the same window of time, they would have sold so many more copies. Uh, but at the same time, it would have spoiled the film. And, sure. and, and I know this thing was wrapped up well after the fact because they actually reference as part of the book, you know, to the effect of, well, and it went on to earn $2.7 billion worldwide. So it's like, okay, we didn't get to that number till about three months in. You know, so the the fact that, you know, that up-to-date information is in this Endgame, Art of Endgame book, they deliberately held it back. And and, and Aaron, you weren't wrong about, you know, the pieces of art. I mean, they, they, again, what, what, you know, you described from the, the comicbook.com article is the, the proposed moment in the movie where uh, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange effectively swapped costumes, uh, you know, during a battle scene, you know, and... Yeah, that art's in there, along with how they they choreographed, you know, the individual battle scenes. In fact, there's this wonderful quote in the book, and I, and I apologize. I'm, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that, I, you know, I am way into structure and story mechanics, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole for the 37th time on this show. But they talk about how when they were working on the first Avengers movie, and they, they literally had the meeting where well, isn't it going to look kind of goofy that we have six superheroes standing next to one another? And now to jump ahead to Endgame where, you know, they have this moment where, you know, or a hundred or more heroes come on the scene stepping through portals. And the whole notion is how do we provide clarity? How do we make sure that the audience knows where to look? And more to the point that we we can get back to Cap at the exact moment when he needs to say, Avengers Assemble. If you're, you're into how movies are made from the, the literally the first guy who comes in and tries to figure out, all right, well, what does it look like if when and Cap gets to handle, you know, Thor's hammer on the battlefield? But give me five different variations and that idea. This work is so much worth chasing down. All sorts of great uh, information about different story decisions. And, you know, for example, the, the first Thanos that we meet in that movie is Thanos the Philosopher. and But the, the Thanos in the, the latter half of the film is Thanos the Warrior. And, you know, how they delineated the look of those two different characters. And, again, if I start in this rabbit hole, folks, this will be a three-hour <laughs> long show. So I'm going to shut up. But we're now going to d- swing back to CCPX again, where, where where Kevin was saying all of that interesting stuff, and you know it was being reported on, and the the story that just broke today that's kind of interesting, and 
I guess on Monday afternoon, a lot of entertainment outlets began to announce that, hey, you know, Shazam 2 is officially a go at Warner Brothers, which kind of surprised a lot of people because, you know, face it, don't get me wrong, I finally got to see this Zachary Levi movie, and it's great fun and was relatively affordable from a, a superhero movie point of view. It, you know, they made it for 100 million, Warner's made it for 100 million. But it really didn't do a lot of business. It did 140 million in ticket sales here in the states, and an additional, I want to say, 224 overseas, uh, for a worldwide total of 364 million dollars, which is okay, not great, but okay. I mean, I, I say that in comparison to the Joker, that the uh, the Todd Phillips film. I mean, that Joaquin Phoenix movie only cost $55 million to make. And here in the States, all by itself, it, it's grossed $332 million so far. Overseas, $723 million in ticket sales. So a worldwide gross of over a billion dollars. Just yesterday, uh, Golden Globes were announced. It, 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 it's got nominations for actor in a drama, uh, the the best uh, dramatic motion picture, original score, and likewise, um, you know, it's up for director of a motion picture. And, you know, of course, given both the financial aspect and the critical aspect, uh, Warner Brothers is is anxious to get a sequel. And But here's Todd Phillips, his statement yesterday, it, as for a sequel, it's, it's way too early. I swear I haven't even talked to Joaquin Phoenix about that yet or, or what that would even be. So the interesting thing about the Shazam 2 story is that as, again, everyone's you know, singing the praises of Joker, here are now a bunch of outlets that had to walk back the Shazam 2 story because the people who were actually at the Warner Brothers presentation at CCPX are like, I don't remember anybody saying that. I remember people talking about how Shazam 2 is in development, but certainly nobody said that there was an actual release date or, you know, contracts had been signed or anything to that effect. It could easily just be one of those situations where people are mulling over an idea and just because it's uh, being considered, Mm -hmm. someone writes, oh, oh, that's happening. Uh-huh. And it's not uh, that they're lying or, or going out of their way to misrepresent. It's just misquoting one thing for being uh, something it's not. No, I get that. But it just it seems like everybody, when they saw the news, grabbed it and reported it. And then just after the fact, it was kind of a, well, who's the source? Does anybody actually remember this being said in the Expo Center in Sao Paulo? And it's like, uh, no. You know, here's the event where they actually debuted the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984, which you were saying you you were were very impressed by. I want to play Ride the Lightning at full volume (laughs) is what I want to do when I play that trailer. It's great. I love it. I think it's a lot of fun and I, I can't wait to see it. I enjoyed the first Wonder Woman. Don't care about Chris Pine's character. I like Chris Pine as an actor. I like almost everything he's ever been in. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Wonder Woman needs a man. I, th- I think she's perfectly fine without having a love interest. Mm-hmm. It's the whole woman power thing. It's like, why why do you need a man in this story? Let her be the you know powerful woman that she is with no need of man insight. 
It's so interesting you bring this up because that's actually one of the story threads that runs through Harley Quinn, the new adult animated series, which debuted uh, back on November 29th on DC Universe. And what, Harley Quinn don't like Chris Pine either? What up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, as as part of the story, literally by the time the first episode of this ends, Harley has broken up with the Joker and it is trying to establish herself as a a strong woman, a, a, a worthy opponent of, of Batman all on her own. You know, I got to tell you, though, folks, again, in a weird sort of way, it's a wonderful companion piece to Todd Phillips' Joker in that it's it's brutal, it's bloody, it's, you know, the, the language is very adult, but on the other hand, it is so funny, so well-written. I honestly thought that nobody could top Mark Hamill's, you know, interpretation of the Joker, and I'm not oh, saying... Oh boy, the, now we're on shaky ground already. I don't even know what you're going to say, but I'm getting ready to put up my dukes and, and okay. battle. I, well, <laughs> What's look, going I, on? I, I, Alan Tudyk is the voice of the Joker in Harley Quinn. And oh. I, I, I have to say for the... It was such a strong interpretation. It was so well done that for the... I, you know, the, the first time it's like, wow, Mark Hamill sounds different, but I really like what he's doing with the Joker. And it was only at the end of the show when I'm reading the credits, it's like, Alan Tudyk, of course it's Alan Tudyk. But it's it's such a fun interpretation of, of the character. And I, I don't want to spoil, but definitely check this out. And Kaylee Coco uh, from uh, Big Bang Theory is doing Harley, and she does amazing work as well. Now, I don't know if they're going to do this again. TBS just showed the first episode on December 8th. And now, mind you, in order to get at these, typically you have to be a subscriber to DC Universe. And the, the next two episodes, uh, High Bar, and so so you need a crew uh, just dropped. And, you know, we've got this Harley Quinn animated series. Then February 7th of next year, we've got Birds of Prey. And the subtitle on this one is The Fabtabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. So once again, it's another story variation of the story of this this henchwoman uh you know separating herself from the joker and this is uh marco robbie returning to play a, a harlequin after you know having debuted playing the role back in 2016 with suicide squad and and the interesting thing is right now in atlanta she's working with james gunn on suicide squad 2 i think you and i knowing you know what james did with you know guardians 2 and the original guardians and what's supposedly in the works for three. I mean, I I really want to see what he does with this character. There's a character, I can't remember his name, but it's like uh, rip off arm man or arm. uh, Hold on. It's arm off man. Arm. No arm fall off boy. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) there's a character. I saw this a while ago and I paid absolutely no mind. I read it out of morbid curiosity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Nathan Fillion has been cast as a character in uh, the Suicide Squad movie, mm-hmm. and but nobody knows who he's playing. And somebody had speculated that he is mm-hmm. playing Arm Falloff Boy. And Arm oh. Falloff Boy's special power is... You want to take a whack at what Arm Falloff Boy's special power is, Jim? I'm assuming it's that his arm falls off. And, <laughs> yeah, he can, yeah, he can, you know, grab t- grab himself by the wrist, pl- pull off an arm, and then bludgeon an enemy over the head with it. 
Oh. <laughs> right? That That's what this character does. That's a um, wonderful superpower. And apparently Nathan Fillion is supposed to be playing that character. If this rumor is even close to true. I think yeah. it's so absurdly hilarious and that James Gunn is doing this that I will 100% thumbs up this and say, yes, it has to be true. I'm mm. all on board for uh, Arm Falloff Boy played by Nathan Fillion. God, I hope it's true. Here's hoping. So... Let's not forget that, you know, in addition to, you know, these two Harley Quinn projects, of course, we've got the Robert Pattinson, Pattinson version of the Batman movie, which evidently has the working title, Vengeance. And kind of interesting is what I've been hearing on the heels of the success of Joker. This may be, and, and it's it's Matt Reeves who's uh, writing and directing this thing. In fact, what's kind of interesting is they're, they're going to be shooting it over at Leavesden Studio, which, by the way, is also the home of the Warner Brothers Studio Tour in London. You know, so that's where they have all the Harry Potter sets. So if anybody's over touring the Harry Potter you know, exhibit and happens to see some Batman stuff, if they, they want to reach out to myself or Vera, we'd, we'd love to talk with you about that. You know, I guess on the heels of Joker, they're, they're talking about making the darkest Batman ever. And again, we were pre-gaming, Aaron, and you were like, yeah, 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 let's do this. Well, I was talking with my friend McConnell, who joined us for our Black Panther episode mm -hmm. and talked about that. And his hope, and I have to agree, is that he wanted a Batman to be psychologically damaged because he's out hurting people. He's, he's out at night dressed in a costume, uh, and then he finds a villain doing nefarious deeds and then he breaks them he breaks their bones and leaves them in a twisted little crumpled up pile in some dark alley and then goes off away to his mansion uh in the when, in the morning when the sun comes up and he's like this mm -hmm. is a psychologically broken human being just as much as the joker is mm -hmm. and he was hoping that if they would make him almost like a serial killer like he's stalking in the shadows and he almost really enjoys what he does and you make him the frightening almost the jason Voorhees of the movie right mm -hmm. we all go watch friday the 13th we're not there to see teenagers we're there to see jason mm -hmm. and make batman like jason let him go around and, and instead of a bunch of teenagers smoking pot getting killed having premarital sex this time it's villains doing wrong Mm -hmm. And and justify them getting you know torn up into little bits because they they're bad and they deserve it not just because they're teenagers that are doing drugs and having premarital sex you know that that's the twist that we're looking at there and I think if if they were to do something like that holy cow would that be cool it would definitely be different than anything you ever got with Michael Keaton and trust me I love Keaton Batman mm -hmm. but you know if you want to step separate yourself. From everything that's come before, you got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And what that's one thing they have not yet dared to do. And it would take some cojones to actually step that far into the darkness of Batman. You know, but if you, you talk with folks, supposedly, you know, the Zack Snyder version of Justice League, you know, had some very, very, very dark stuff. In fact, it, supposedly, again, that's one of the reasons when Snyder had to step away uh, mid-production because of, you know, the, the tragedy involving his daughter that, you know, it supposedly Warner's brought Joss Whedon in and, you know, one of the things right up front was like, please lighten this material up. This is just too dark. This is just too scary. You know, that we, we can't have this, a film that's aimed at a, you know, a superhero movie that's aimed at a general audience. And it's just, it's been fascinating, you know, over the past year or so to watch 
you know, the endless campaignings, the, the petition dot, you know, org stuff about, you know, we want to see the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. In fact, you know, what's uh, rather disappointing is the fact that Warner Brothers hired this guy like for Man of Steel. Mm -hmm. How long ago was that? Has it been 10 years now? I mean, it <laughs> seems like it's been 10 years. Yeah. It probably yeah. isn't, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they, it does well, and they say, we would like you to be the shepherd mm -hmm. of the our DC cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. And they let him do uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and they're all fine with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they continue on down this path to Justice League. And then all of a sudden, I, after he steps away due to a personal tragedy... Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they start getting cold feet and not trusting his judgment of the path that they said, you know, that they asked him to lead them on so many years ago. Now, at this final payoff moment, they're gonna they're gonna get cold feet on the subject and have somebody say, "Hey, we don't like where this is going. Please change it drastically." Well, to be fair, though, I mean, face it, in that amount of time, we saw, you know, what was going on on the the Marvel Cinematic Universe side of the street and how those films managed to be, uh, you know, that had connective tissue and had, you know, stories that, that were continued from film to film, but they also had characters that managed to keep a sense of humor about themselves. And even when they had dark moments, they managed to sort of redeem themselves over films. And I, I think that was the thing is that here was, you know, the folks at Warner's standing and watching the the Zack Snyder DC films get collectively darker and darker and they're looking, you know, and, and having less and less appeal because of that. And they're looking across the way at what Marvel's doing. And it's like, can we have something more like that? You know, and in fact, I, I think yeah, that you just can't walk down a path that gets darker and darker and have it come out clown circus bright at the on the last turn where everyone's like, hello, my honey. Hello, my darling. Jazz hands. Everybody got Whoa. jazz hands. Because all you know, that just it makes it, it it breaks everything that you built your way but towards. But it's so interesting you say that when you look at Aquaman, you know, which came out last December, and let's face it, that film is colorful. It's funny. It's adventurous. It is. I, it I is. love the octopus playing the drums like mm -hmm. halfway through. I mean, when you got an a, octopus playing the drums in your movie. You are okay with having a silly moment, having fun for the sake of having fun. Mm -hmm. And and that's when I think that, you know, they are doing a course correction with DC films. Mm -hmm. And that's where you see it was in Aquaman was where they mm -hmm. made that change. And Wonder Woman was fine with Patty Jenkins as director. I'm sure Wonder Woman 2 will be fantastic. But mm -hmm. to do it when a director's put his heart and soul into building something for so many years and then to step out due to personal tragedy and have to have the company say, we want you to change this drastically at this point. I, that's where we got mustache gate from. If that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have had mustache gate. So there's that right by yeah. itself, which word of mouth, you know, helps kill a film. And well, I know that Joss Whedon did, you know, Avengers and he did a great job and he, but it's also led us now to, we also have the Snyder cut, fiasco that we now have because mm -hmm. of of this decision that warner's made mm -hmm. and it, it was marvel's got a universe we want a universe and now that they're finally embracing the fact that joker's its own thing and it was going to be a one-off and then all of a sudden it made a billion dollars and all of a sudden that tune changed to well we could do a sequel mm -hmm. if we had a reason another billion dollars wink wink mm -hmm. they're in the business to make money Not joker sure. made money we're going to mm -hmm. get a joker too
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think that they should have, if they were to bring in Joss Whedon, they should have said, can you get with, you know, what what material Zach has here and mm-hmm. can you complete it? Not change it, not alter it, embrace whatever vision he had. And mm-hmm. then if you have to shoot some additional material because it doesn't exist yet, mm-hmm. then go ahead and, you know, do what you, you got to do to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I would look at it as bring in just to spackle over a wall, not tear down a wall and then mm-hmm. build a whole new house around it. They had a foundation. Mm-hmm. They had walls. They just need to put a roof on it, shingle it, be done. Walk away. Yeah, I have to admit, it, it would have been fascinating to see what would have happened there if, if Zach had actually been allowed to finish the film, as, you know, that he had envisioned. Now, one last thought on that, Jim. Did you ever see the exorcist dominion or the exorcist the beginning if you ever Um, get a chance if if for the movie nerd listeners out there watch mm -hmm. them back to back it is uh you know everyone knows the famous exorcist movie right Mm -hmm. the freaking yep Mm -hmm. yep this was going to be the prequel to that Mm -hmm. and they got halfway through and they fired the director and then they hired a new guy in and and they took whatever they had Mm -hmm. and then they did something different with it and brought the actors back after a year and said, okay, same character, but now this is your motivation and go. Mm -hmm. And so the actors played two different versions of the same movie. And so they put out the the studio version, right? Mm -hmm. Came out first and it bombed. It bombed so bad, didn't make like a cent. Mm -hmm. And then after like, you know, 10 years went by or whatever, they went, hey, let's go finish up what we had of the other version and see if we can make any money off of that. And they put that out on DVD and that also bombed. And what we could find out is if you get the Snyder version, you might just find out that both versions of the justice league sucked. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's the risk you have to pay because both of those exorcist prequels were a bad idea. It doesn't matter which version you watch. They're both bad movies. Mm -hmm. So you can always hope that it was a better movie on the other side, but it doesn't guarantee that just because it's different doesn't mean difference better. You know, and I guess what's kind of ironic about this whole situation again, is we've got the, the Aquaman movie came out in December of last year and, and, and made a billion dollars. So, you know, of course now we, we have already locked in uh, for December of uh, 2022. We have Aquaman two. In fact, the, the gentleman who wrote the screenplay for the first film, David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick uh, is coming back to write the sequel. But if there was one person on the planet who was genuinely pulling for Aquaman 2 to underperform, that would have been Kevin Feige. And the reason that is, is that April of last year, someone asked Kevin about uh, Namor, the, the Submariner. And, you know, to the effect of, you know, that's, you know, you brought Spider-Man back to the canvas and, you know, that's been very successful. And, you know, they, they, you guys have ever talked about, you know, ever thought about Namor? And the interesting thing is Kevin, well, there's this famous story about Walt Disney about, uh, it's like 1965 uh, and they've been buying up all the land in Orlando. There's a reporter, uh, her name is Emily Bavar. Uh, and she's on the Disney lot, and she's there for a press event for for what, at that point, is the 10th anniversary of Disneyland. And she, she walks up to Walt at this press event and basically says, you know, Mr. Disney, someone's been buying up an awful lot of land in, you know, the, the Central Florida area, and there's been rumors that it's actually the Walt Disney Company. 
And Walt goes, oh, Emily, uh, you know, that couldn't possibly be the Walt Disney Company. Do you know how much rain you get per year in Orlando? You know, it's, it's, it's 70 inches. And do you know what the temperature gradients are? You know, just, you know. <laughs> Way to play <laughs> the cards, Walt. <laughs> well, no, exactly. He, by being so specific and having so much information, the woman walks away, calls her editor, and it's, it's Disney. Oh, my God. He knows everything about the area. You know, that, that's it. You know, and what? that was the thing. The same thing with this reporter asking about Namor. And it was just sort of like, well, you know, Universal has the rights. And, you know, the only the option that would have been available to us is if we did our, our Hulk thing where we, you know, oh, he would, didn't have a whole movie to himself, but he was a supporting character. And it was like, and Kevin went on and on and on. And it was like it became suddenly very apparent that this was a character that Kevin really wanted to bring onto the canvas. But at the same time, the fact that now there is somebody has already sort of plowed the road here and done a successful godlike being beneath the oceans movie. And it's just sort of like, all right, so how would we do that differently? And, uh, you know, and, and I think you were the one saying that Aquaman is fun. Namor is actually a, a far more serious character with a, a lot more gravitas and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, usually oh. played a bad guy in most stories that I read. And it was because we were always polluting his waters, mm -hmm. which is true. I mean, fair play to Namor. You mm -hmm. know, if, you, if you're looking for a bad guy that you can root for, I think Namor is another good candidate because, you know, you can do the scene where it's the tugboat taking mm -hmm. out the trash out into mm -hmm. the harbor and dumping it into the water. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, we don't have to worry about trash no more because it's out of sight, out of mind. And then there's Namor swimming by who's all very upset by mm -hmm. this way that humans treat the water and and so yeah i can see him being like a a greenpeace statement you know our our captain planet if you will uh type character i forget which of the civil war stories it is where they have the the meeting of the illuminati where it's what is it it's tony stark it's black panther it's dr strange and and namor is there and it's such a wonderful take on the character because he's so cynical about you know, here's Tony Stark talking about something he wants to do, and it's like, you understand that's going to blow up in your face, right? Right, <laughs> you know, and yeah. It's, and it's just sort of like, he leaves the meeting like, this is never going to work. But it just, it's such an amazing knowing, you know, take on the character that, it, that and I'd never seen that version of Namor before, and it's like, this one, I want to see this one come to the table yeah oh. i think in the future the mcu's got a lot to play with as far as material and fodder for future nemeses because mm. you've got good guys that could become bad guys a la my wishes for uh scarlet witch and mm. and dr strange going toe-to-toe -to -toe. i mean we've already seen it in civil war so there is precedent already in the mcu of good guys versus good guys that's always a good combination uh mm. then you've got the things coming up like uh if you do namor and you do him like he's a environmentalist trying to protect the planets to where you can understand him he fits in that killmonger category of where you can actually sympathize where he's coming from mm -hmm. and he's not really a bad guy he's mm -hmm. misunderstood and marvel had already talked about you know you had that report a couple months ago about a solo doom 
movie mm-hmm. as it's just a thought experiment. They weren't saying they were going to do it. It was just a maybe. They mm-hmm. thought about the idea of, of Doom by himself without really needing Fantastic Four. So it's just focused on a, a misunderstood villain the way that mm-hmm. we get a Joker movie from DC. I mean, that's a, a possibility of, of a thing that could happen somewhere down the road mm-hmm. if they if they wanted to explore those ideas further. So I like the idea of letting the villain be more than just uh, introduced in act one. They develop to their villain stage in act two. They get defeated in act three and we never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind an entire movie dedicated to one of the grand villains of the MCU. So that way we can then have a fantastic four go against this character that we're supposed to root against, but oddly we like a whole lot, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'd let, let's hope that that comes over the horizon at some point. And speaking of which, if we're going to ever do another show, I guess we better shut this one down now. Uh, folks, uh, if you could do Aaron and I a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. If you get out of Bandcamp and subscribe, that helps us keep both this show as well as the other shows here at Jim Hill Media Production. And those include... Disney Dish with Lentesta, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z, uh, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. I guess that's going to do it for now, Aaron. Bye, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs>